I was drawn to this psalm just in my readings as uh, I've been working through, and uh, this particular psalm came in the, the kind of annual reading of Scripture. So that's why I've come to it this morning. Some scholars think that this psalm was written by Moses. Most sources, including the Septuagint, the Latin Vulgate, the Syriac, the Arabic, and the Ethiopic versions, suggest it was probably written by David at the time of the pestilence that was sent as a result of his numbering of the people, mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 24. They suggest that the person all along spoken of and to in this psalm, according to the Targum, is Solomon's son. Sorry, is Solomon his son? And according to the title in the Syriac version, King Hezekiah is called the son of David, which seems improbable. Some think the Messiah is meant, and that the psalm contains promises of protection and safety to him as a man from diseases, beasts of prey, evil spirits, and wicked men under the care of angels. This is suggested not because Satan applied one of these promises to him, Matthew chapter 4, but because they seem to fit better with Christ than with any other. But it seems good to understand this psalm as referring to any man or woman of God who is always safe under his divine protection. Scholars suggest that structurally, this psalm is divided into two halves of eight verses each, with the opening couplet of the second half, verses 9 to 10, echoing the theme of verses 1 and 2. In the first half, the godly are assured of security from four beasts, verses 5 and 6, though thousands fall, verse 7. In the second half, they are assured of, they are assured of triumphing over four menacing beasts, verse 13. Sorry, did I say security from four threats, verses 5 to 6. The message of verses 14 to 16 offers climactic assurance. I believe this psalm has much to say to us about our relationship with the Lord and his desire to provide for and to protect his people. As we come to the text of this psalm, it seems to me that verse 1 encapsulates the message of the whole psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The key message about God's provision and protection in this verse seems to be that the one who dwells in the shelter will rest in his shadow. One who dwells is one who stays for a long time, not just someone who drops by for a chat or one who visits occasionally. A dwelling place is where someone stays, where they live, where they belong. This verse speaks about the man or woman who dwells, who stays, where they live, who stays, who abides, rather, with God, who lives his or her life in the shelter of God's presence. Green's literal translation translates this verse as, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And the secret place is that place where the Father embraces the Son in his love, in his heart. This is probably also a reference to the Holy of Holies in the temple, 
Under the law, the high priest entering this inner sanctum legitimately once a year was covered with the cloud of God's glory, that Shekinah glory, the protection of the all-sufficient God. Now, under the new covenant, we as believers have boldness to enter into this inner sanctum, this secret place in the heart of God by the blood of Jesus, where we are safe from every sin. Psalm 27 verse 5 puts it this way, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. This is God's provision for safety for his people in the secret and secure place. And we don't need to look very far to see people who are filled with fear as terrorism seems to sweep our world. In verse 2, the psalmist conveys his own personal experience of God's provision. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will tell that he will tell God that he trusts in him. Why? Because God is his refuge. He's his fortress. In fact, he is his God. So he can be fully trusted. And then on the basis of his own personal experience of God, the psalmist goes on to say that he believes God can therefore do for his readers, do, do the same thing for his readers, the people of Israel. In other words, he's saying, this is what I've experienced. So this is what you can expect. So in verse 3, firstly, God delivers you from, will deliver you from the fowler's snare, which is a metaphor for human enemies and the deadly pestilence, which is disease. Speaking about these human enemies, the psalmist says in, verse, in chapter 9, Psalm 9, verse 15, the nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. You see, in this verse, the nations are associated with the words pit, dug, net, hidden, which is imagery for the hunt that is used to depict the cunning attacks of enemies who sought by hidden means or surprise attacks to destroy them. And the tongue is the most wicked weapon. See Psalm, verse, Psalm 5, verse 9. You know the tongue is as deadly as swords and arrows. Hunters often used a combination of snares, traps, and pits, always involving concealment. Proverbs 26, verse 27, if a, diet, if a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. So what, is the, what, what this is saying, therefore, is that attacks from, from fellow human beings often leveled at God's people through carefully concealed means are the very things that our God is capable of thwarting and completely overturning for the benefit of his loved ones. For the psalmist begins with that most encouraging of words, surely. Surely he, that is God, will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Surely, because he's my God, he's my fortress, he's my refuge, I know him. You see, he will save you from the cunning attacks inspired by the devil, the sworn enemy of God's people that are so well concealed but they can hurt so much. You see, God is able to rescue you and me.
today. He's able to come to your aid to save you from the words of man that doubt the truths of God. And perhaps that's what some of you may be thinking now. Maybe words have been spoken into your experience. Maybe seeds of doubt have been sown from godless people and you're beginning to feel under attack. Maybe these words for you are for you today. The deadly pestilence spoken of here can be understood as the danger to life from disease. The thought of developing a life-threatening disease in older age can strike fear into the hearts of the most faithful of God's people. But this verse reminds us that the one who knows God like the psalmist did can say, my God is well able to deliver me from the fear of that disease. And sometimes the fear is greater than the effects of a disease. My God's able to deliver me from the fear of that disease. And even from the disease itself if he chooses. But if he doesn't choose to save me from the disease, he may use it to bring me home into his living presence. And the next verse serves to reinforce this thought thought by using other imagery. Verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Psalm 17 verse 9 says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Shadow in both passages is a conventional Hebrew metaphor for protection against opposition. A shade protects from the intense heat of the sun. Mind you, better understood by those living in the Middle East than those of us who call Western Europe home. Kings were spoken of as the shade of those dependent on them for protection. The Lord is the protective shade of his people. Wings is a metaphor for the protective outreach of God's power. Psalm 61, 3-4 says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. This speaks powerfully of the strength and protection of God's presence. And in the passage we read from Matthew 23, Jesus carries out that stinging attack on the religious leaders of his day, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who are responsible for leading their people to God. And in verse 37, Jesus cries out for his people because of the way they have dealt with God's prophets, God's wise men, and the teachers God has sent. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, sent to you how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? Why would his people need that protection under his wings? Well, because of what he's just said in verses 35 and 36. And so upon you, he says, will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the altar and the temple. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. See, God's wrath will be poured out on you, Jesus is saying. So you will need the protection that only I can give. And in verse 37, Jesus weeps for them. 
Because they were not willing. Not willing for what? Not willing to receive his forgiveness. Not willing to receive his redemptive work of grace in their lives. They were not willing to accept him as their Lord and their God and their long-awaited King. I wonder, is God calling you today to come and gather under his protective wings? Jesus is the only one who can protect us from the all-pervasive power of God's wrath against sin. Don't be like the people of Jerusalem who wouldn't accept Jesus and would suffer the consequences. Come to him today for forgiveness and cleansing from sin through the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus. Then on to verse 5, he says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. This speaks about terror, which is a, a reference to an attack by enemies, and therefore linked to arrow. And these two references to threats from war are used alongside pestilence and plague in verse 6. Mortal diseases that often reached ep epidemic proportions, especially at times of war. Notice the contrast <clears throat> that shadow and wings makes with war and disease. Security and protection against attack and infection. And when we see how war destroys societies, and how terror literally terrorizes communities, we can see how debilitating and how dangerous and how destructive that is. But you know, we're not immune to that kind of fear. Things happen in our own personal lives that can go very deep. Something as simple as a word spoken out of place or even a word aimed wrongly can bring hurt and pain. And the fear and that pain needs to be dealt with. And what Jesus is saying to us this day in, in his word is, I'm there. I've got those protective wings. I want you to gather under those protective wings. I want you to come to me. I want you to find that security and that protection. Here I am doing the signing. Some of us did the signing class up at, Lock, at, Lock, at Fascali, and that's, anyway, that's another story. So which would you rather? The shadow and the wing or the war and the disease? Notice also in verse 6 the contrast, darkness, midday, at whatever time of the day or night the threat comes, you will be kept safe, this verse says. Isn't that so encouraging, so heartwarming, so empowering in the face of fear and subversion? In verse 7 we become aware of a Hebrew poetic construct, a thousand, ten thousand, basically meaning an awful lot. In this case, of people who will fall, but you will be kept safe and secure. And the if statement of verse 9, what does it say here? If you make the high, make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge. This refers back to the opening verse, to verse 1. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, and expands on the promise of that verse in the few, the few verses that follow. In other words, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, then the experience of the rest uh, 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 that you find in that shadow of the Almighty 
will encompass you and your family. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your home. That's personal and family protection. The reason that this protection is yours is found in verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You know, guardian angels are sent by God to watch over his people and at times of personal crisis have been known to intervene for the good and safety of all concerned. But, you know, as I share these thoughts, let me sound a note of caution. What I'm not saying is that God's people will never face crisis or danger. Nor am I saying that this passage teaches that God's people won't face death through attacks and disease. What I believe this passage is saying is that the man or woman of God will know the presence, the provision, and the protection of God until that moment chosen by God to bring them home into his eternal glory. Until that moment, we will know with certainty God's loving presence, his protection, and his provision, and his help in all our troubles. Verses 11 and 12 were famously quoted by Satan to Jesus when he was tempting him at the start of his ministry. You'll see that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. However, Satan did not quote verse 13, and this is what verse 13 says, you will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. And I've always asked the question, why didn't he quote that verse? Some commentators believe this type of double reference to be a feature often used in this kind of illustrative writing. However, I'm inclined to view this as a reference to the person whom God protects as the one who treads on and thereby crushes the head of a serpent. A clear reference to the conversation that God had with Satan, the serpent, and Eve in the Garden of Eden following Adam and Eve's sin. And in this conversation found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. You see, God refers to the coming Messiah, who would crush the head of a serpent, the devil, through Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, where he bore the penalty for sin and dealt with the power of sin. If this were the case, <clears throat> the devil certainly wouldn't want to remind Jesus of that future event by quoting this verse. However, we are going to remind ourselves of that shortly when we come to communion, our time around the Lord's table. But now we come to the final verses of this amazing psalm, verses 14 to 16, which begin with those challenging words, because he loves me. And this is God speaking to his people, because he loves me. Do you know the most notable passage about our love for God is found, I believe, in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Verse 10 says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. That whole passage speaks about our relationship with God, with Jesus, and his relationship with Father and his desire that we love him and express that love in obedience to him. 
I wonder, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Have you put your full confidence in his ability to look after you no matter what? Do you know, if we love God, we will obey his word. And if we love God according to these verses, this is what the Lord will do for us. And just bullet points now, as you look down through verses 14 to 16, he will rescue us. And he'll do that. He'll rescue us from our sin. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he planned it in the Garden of Eden. He wants to rescue us. And no matter where you are in your life right now, whether you feel you need rescuing or not, the Bible tells us each one of us is a sinner in God's sight. And we need to be rescued. And if you love God, he'll rescue you. He'll protect us. Again, from the wrath of, of, of God on our sin. We need his protection. We can't handle it ourselves. Because if we even look towards God as a, as a sinner, his wrath would destroy us completely. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. So that he in his body bore our sin on the cross. That God might look upon him and see your sin and my sin. And he might fire his wrath upon his son and destroy him so that we don't need to. If you love me, I will protect you. He will answer us as we cry to him. <clears throat> I'm sure many here this morning have cried to your God. Perhaps in those quiet moments in your own home and on your bed, when you're going through issues and situations and circumstances you cannot understand, and you don't know why on earth they've entered your life, and you're at your wit's end, and your life seems to be worthless. And all the plans that you had made for your life seem to have come to nothing. And you cry to God. He will answer us. He gets better. He'll be with us in trouble. Now, whoever said being a Christian would be easy? Whoever said we'd have a bed of roses? It was never said. We'll have trouble. In this life, Jesus said, but the beauty of these verses says that I'll be with you. The God of all glory wants to walk with you and me through our troubles. He goes on, he says, I'll deliver you. I'll deliver you from your trouble. I'll deal with that situation. Maybe not in your timing, maybe not in your understanding. Remember, your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, and our ways are different. But I'll deliver you. You wait patiently. I will honor you. Sometimes when we go through deep waters, and when we struggle in life, the last thing we feel is honored. God wants to take you up, and he wants to honor you, because you love him, and you're precious to him. He will satisfy you. He will satisfy us. Isn't that amazing? Every need that we've ever had, or every need that we ever might had, God is the one who is able to satisfy us and meet our needs. And if you love me, I will satisfy you. And he says, and I will show you my salvation. Do you know, isn't that a lovely thing? Our salvation ultimately is our call to heaven, to be with him in glory. 
And I believe there's going to be a day for each one of us when we enter God's glory and Jesus will be there to greet us because he says, I'll come back for you and he'll take us round and I'll show you my salvation. This is what it's all about. We're going to be in glory with Jesus and one day we're going to live on a new earth and enjoy the new heavens and we'll have all eternity to do all the exploring we need. What more do we need to know about God's loving provision and protection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you call us and you gather us. You want to gather us under those wings of protection and warmth embrace. You want to remind us that we belong to you, like that sheep we saw up on the PowerPoint. We're the sheep of your pasture, and you've sent Jesus to search for us. And you want us to come back into your fold and to walk with you and to know your provision and your protection and your presence in the days ahead. Do that for each one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.